we get together uh, uh, every Sunday about 7.45 and bring the whole team up here and we walk through our, uh, the order of service and everything. And I just kind of started laughing with the guys. I said, I look forward to the people that this is their first Sunday. And they see that come up and then I walk up and I said, I wonder if they think it's like baseball when they play a song for a guy to walk up to bat. And these visitors are saying, I guess that's his song. Uh, that's his music to come up and say, hey, I'm ready to preach now. Uh, well, I want to explain a little bit of that because uh, that was kind of explain uh, where we've been from the 1st of October. We began a study in the Bible of, a, it's called the book of Colossians. It's a letter that the apostle Paul, who was in prison at Rome, wrote to a young church in a city called Colossae. Uh, Paul had never been there to, to see this church. There was a layman, a guy by the name of Epaphras, who was led to Christ by Paul. He was there in Colossae, and he began to build this church, and he started there in Colossae, then he had Laodicea and Aeropolis. These are three cities all together. And now Paul is writing a letter to them because he wants to encourage them, but there is something that's been happening. There's been an influx of false teachers, something in what we've called syncretism. And what syncretism is, is when you began to take, let's say, one set of beliefs, and then you began to say, well, let's add a little bit of this to it, and let's add a little bit of this to it, and then I think it'd be nice to add this to it. And when you began to add other things into this one particular system of beliefs, your end product doesn't look anything like the original. And so this syncretism has really uh, watered down and, uh, in essence, completely uh, taken away the power of what the original belief system was. And so we used early on in the, as an illustration of taking a liquid and then pouring other liquids into it. And when you poured all these other liquids into it, if you looked at what the pure liquid looked like versus the new one, there was no comparison. And that's what was happening with the gospel. And so Paul was warning them about this, and he goes through this letter, and he talks to them that there is a true gospel. There is a true gospel, and the true gospel is the grace of God, and that uh, understanding that it meant that Christ had died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and it is by the grace of God that we have an opportunity to come into relationship with him. And then he said that true gospel also represents having faith in Christ. You take that step of faith and you receive Christ as your savior. You have that hope of eternal life. And then he said that because you do that, you then love others. All of this is the true gospel. And then he told them about who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus is enough. And that's where we came up with this title of the whole series is enough. Jesus is enough. He is supreme in creation. He's the agent of creation. Everything that was created was through Jesus himself. And the Bible said not only did he create it, but he sustains it. He holds the whole world together. So he's supreme in creation. He was also supreme in the church. He's the head of the church. And then he said he was sufficient for salvation. Jesus is all you need. He is the one, because of his sinless life and his substitutionary death, gives us an opportunity to come into a right relationship with God. Because we were sinners, that sin separates from God. Because we were sinners, a payment had to be made for our sin. Either you will pay for it, or you will accept the payment that Christ made. And so Christ went on the cross, and he took all your sins and my sins, and he died for us. He was our substitutionary atonement. He's the one who, was, who took the penalty for us. And then 
when he was laid into a grave three days later, he was raised from the dead. And so he conquered sin, conquered death, and gives us that opportunity to come into a right relationship with God. And so Paul is saying, Jesus is enough for your salvation. And then he goes through the rest of the letter and talks about how we need to walk in him. And that we are hidden in Christ and in his righteousness. And, and the picture that we used is, if you just took this and said, this is your life, and what God does is he sees the righteousness of Christ wrap around you. And whenever God looks at you as a believer in Christ, what he sees is this righteousness of Christ. And he sees that righteousness of Christ. And so Paul said, listen, this is you. The righteousness of Christ is wrapped around you. Now live it out. Live out that righteousness. Live the resurrected life that has that resurrected power of Christ. And if you're going to live that, you need to put away some stuff. You need to put away that, the gossip and the anger and the lust and the sexual immorality and all these things. But then on the other hand, you need to put on some new things. You need to put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and gratitude and love and a forgiving spirit. And then put on the peace of Christ. And he says, put these things on. Live that resurrected life. And then as he's closing out his letter, he says, you know, if I could just, he says, just summarize it is, we need to speak to God about people. We need to be praying to God for these people to come to know Christ. So we need to speak to God about people, and then we need to speak to people about God. And we need to share who Jesus is and what he's done. And then he comes to the very close of his letter. And in verses 7 through 18, we will look as he closes his letter. And Paul closes a lot of his letters in the same way, and that is he brings greetings from all these different friends and business associates that are working with him in the ministry. And he goes through a long list. The book of Romans has got the longest list, and I believe Colossians has got the second longest, longest list. And so he's giving greetings from all his different friends, people that have worked with him in the ministry. And so as you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter four, and we will begin to look at verse seven. But before we do, I want to make a statement. And when I make this statement, I want you to kind of drink this in, think about it for just a moment, and don't hurl stones at me or jump up and say blasphemous. Are you ready? That should get your attention right there and say, all right, let's tweet this one out. All right, you ready? Jesus is enough, but he is not all we need. Jesus is enough. We've been talking about that, but he is not all we need. Now, let me explain that. Jesus is enough, but he's not all we need. Sometimes people say, oh, I've just got that relationship with God. I got that perfect relationship with him. That's all that I need. Well, I don't think so. And I'm going to go back to the Bible and explain why I think that. Creation. When God went through creation and he created the world and he got down to where he created man and he created Adam. When he created Adam, God said it was very good. And he stepped back and he looked at his creation and everything was great. And Adam had a perfect relationship with God. It just seems like that's all you needed. But then he said in Genesis, God saw it was not good for Adam to be alone it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so he created Eve. Now when he created Eve, not only did he institute marriage, but he also gave them a responsibility. He says you need to be fruitful and you need to multiply. You need to get a bunch more humans. You need to get a lot more Adams and Eves out here because there needs to be relationship. 
because God created us for relationship. And so we can say, yes, I can look over here and say, Jesus is, is enough for my, for my salvation, enough for, for many things in my life, but he is not all that I need. I need to have relationship. And God built us for a relationship. When he sent his son Jesus to come live on this earth, and when Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30, he didn't set it up so that he found him a house to live in and he just stayed and hunkered down in his house because he had this perfect relationship with God. He didn't really need anybody. So every so often he'd step out the door, he'd call a crowd, he'd give pearls of wisdom and he'd go, ooh, that sounds good. He'd heal a couple people, cast out a demon here, do a miracle there and slip back into his house, close it up. It's just him and God. Don't ever rub shoulders with anybody else. Is that what he did? Not at all. He got more criticism because he was hanging out with lost people. He'd go where the lost people were. He had many people that were following him, men and women following him all along his three years that he was journeying. He was pouring his life into people. He was rubbing shoulders with people. He was building relationships with people. And yet he had this perfect relationship with God, but yet he also had relationships with others. And so he set his ministry up so that he would focus on 12 men. And so for those three years of his ministry, he pours his life into 12 men because he says, I'm not always going to be physically here on earth. I'm going to step away. The ball's in your court. I'll give you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you and empower you, but you guys have got to run this thing. And so he built a relationship with him. He says, yes, guys, you need to have a right relationship with me, but it's not just going to be us 12 in a huddle. And then one day I'm going to leave and we're going to be gone. I'm in the huddle with you so you can get out and begin to make relationships with other people and tell them who God is and continue to spread the good news. So see, it is important that we have Jesus. He is enough for our salvation. He is sufficient for our salvation. But what we see is that he says, you need to have a relationship with me, but you have, you're built for relationships with other people. And so he did the same thing with the Apostle Paul. I mean, we look at the Apostle Paul, we look at him as like the superhero of apostles, okay? He's like the last Jedi. I mean, uh, he's in the Justice League. I mean, he, he is the superhero apostle and should be. I mean, this guy, in about his 30 years of living, he made three missionary journeys plus a trip to Rome. People did calculations, said he traveled over 10,000 miles and he doesn't get frequent flyer miles. I mean, he traveled 10,000 miles, and he did it by foot, and he did it uh, by boat. 10,000 miles, and not only did he do 10,000 miles, but he planted churches in Asia Minor, he planted churches in Greece, and this guy was a machine. And when he did that, he didn't do it in the friendliest of confines. Because you see, what would happen is he went through a lot of difficulties and a lot of persecution. And he wrote about it, in 2 Corinthians, and, and this is his life. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I'm, I've had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. They believed that if they hit you with these lashes, with these cat of nine tails, 40 times it would kill you. So they tried not to kill, and they just hit him 39 times, okay? Five times that happened. 
And he said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from the other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, who wants to trade lives with him? Yikes. Well, you look at that and you say... He is the superhero of apostles. And he wrote half the New Testament. Wow, man, he's just a self-made man. He could just stand on his own. No. Paul, in his ministry, did all that we just read about, but he didn't go fly solo. He didn't fly solo. He built a team around him. And when he would write letters, he would list these teammates. He would list the associates in his ministry because he knew that one day he was going to die. And these people had to continue it. And he had to keep this thing going. And so he would write a letter and he would talk about some of these individuals. He had a great team around him. And so I was thinking as we come to the close and we look at this letter and look at, these, uh, look at his team, I think we can learn from this and uh, I think even help our own not only our own ministries and, and our own life. Uh, you know, we have taken the Apostle Paul, his philosophy, and we're starting in the North American Mission Board to do the same thing when it comes to church plants. It used to be if you wanted to plant a church, just find some primary church planter and set him out there. But today, what we've learned is that you need a team. And so we put together teams. And so it's not just a church planner off by himself, but let's bring some other people with you. Build this team of people. And then in those relationships that you have, you can be even more effective in helping to plant the church. So Jesus is, all, Jesus is enough, but he is not all we need. We were created for relationships. And so I want to read through this. Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses uh, seven through 18, and as we go through it, I'm gonna make one guarantee. It is more interesting than when you read genealogies, all right? So you stay with me. You don't say, oh, no, is this like one of those genealogy things? He beget, 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 beget. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, this has got cool stuff and all of it. Now, as I read through it, this is what I want you to be thinking. As you read through this thing, I want you to listen to what Paul is saying. And what it, just to me, what a great leader he is as to what he's doing. He is praising them and he's sharing how, they, how he has shared ministry with them. Keep this in mind. When you read through it, okay, he's giving people praise, he's encouraging them, and at the same time, he's sharing they're, they're involved in ministry. I'm delegating things to them. I'm letting them, them do this. And it comes down to our title of our sermon, and that is Together for the Kingdom of God. Together for the Kingdom of God which means we can't just do this solo. We have to be together for the kingdom of God to advance God's kingdom and use the illustration of what Paul did. Starts out here. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, that's a good word, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him... Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. That's encouraging. 
who is one of you. He's from Colossae. And they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. He's a fellow, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. There's a, what is, in essence, what he's saying, it looks like that Mark's got in his plans that he's going to come to you. If nothing changes, you've got some instructions for what to do when he gets there. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. These three. These three, when he says they were the only ones of the circumcision, means they are the only ones that were Jewish believers that were with him. Epaphras, verse 12, who is one of you. He's from Colossae. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. That's the three cities, Laodicea, Aeropolis, and Colossae. He has worked hard for you in all of that. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Many people believe that this was a woman who had the church in her house uh, there in the, in the area of Colossae or Laodicea, and they said, bring greetings to her. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. It's not too far away. I want you to take the same letter. I want you to read it to them and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So apparently, Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea, that we don't have that. That didn't make the canon of scripture, so we don't know what it is, probably similar to what he said here. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. Now, I want you to write some of these uh, statements down over here and what it means together for the kingdom of God. Number one, courage and commitment required. Courage and commitment required. If we're going to be together for the kingdom of God, courage and commitment is required. If you sat there and said you were a friend of Paul, that takes a good bit of courage. You know, Paul is in prison. Don't forget this. Paul is in prison, and he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison because he's got the religious leaders all upset uh, and thinking he's creating riots, and he's going against even the empire, and they're throwing all these kind of things out at him. But it, it's the gospel is what's got people so upset. If you go by to visit him, and then you say you're associated with him, and then you say you want to help work with him, what are the odds that you may be thrown in prison? I mean, that's not the guy you really want to put your arm around and say, hey, let's get a selfie over here with me and Paul because it seems like you could get arrested. There needs to be courage and commitment required if you're going to be together with the kingdom and I'm telling you where we're going, where our world's going and you read about whatever the second coming uh, takes place and, uh, <laughs> and I can be bold in this, every day it's closer than it was the day before, okay? <laughs> uh, and uh, you don't have to be a prophet to know that. But So every day we're getting closer to it. And when we get closer to it, it just says times are gonna get more difficult. It's gonna be more difficult. And the cultural Christianity is going to swept aside and the real believers are the ones that have to stand up and say, this is, this is what I believe and, and I'm gonna go, go through the tough times if need be. 
So for us to do this for the kingdom, for us to work together in the kingdom, it will take courage and commitment required. But second of all is this, varied attributes and abilities requested. <laughs> I'm speaking this as if I was Paul. Varied attributes and abilities requested. If he was putting together a team of people, what would he be looking for? What would he look for to say, I'm gonna get a team of, of people I'm gonna surround myself with and we're going to move forward in the kingdom. I took each one of these people that he listed and I put a quality next to them and said, hey, if it's good enough for Paul, it could be good enough for us. Are you ready? Tychicus, number one, energy and encouragement. Energy and encouragement. You want somebody on your team that's got energy and they are an encourager. Energy, so why do you say energy? Tychicus was the guy who was always delivering letters. He is the guy who received this letter from Rome and he was going to take it to Colossae. Now, we don't have time, but you could just write in the margin, Ephesians chapter six, verse 21 and 22 uh, over there. He did the exact same thing for Ephesus. When Paul was writing that letter, he says, I'm sending Tychicus. And he's a fe uh, fellow servant, a great brother, and he's going to encourage you. And he's sending you the letter. He sent the letter. Then all of a sudden, when you read the book of Titus, you get to Titus, who's a pastor in Crete, and Paul, at the end of that letter, says, I'm sending either Arminus or Tychicus to bring something to you. He's a traveling man. And then, when you get to 2 Timothy, chapter four, the very last letter Paul ever wrote, and as he's writing to this young pastor Timothy, he says, Tychicus isn't here, I've sent him to Ephesus. He's always on the run. I mean, Tychicus is the guy that he's apparently, he's taking stuff, carrying letters back and forth. You gotta have some energy to be that guy. He can't be the guy that says, I think I'm just a little too tired for that. No, I don't need that. I need somebody has got some energy. I got a letter, I just wrote it. God gave me this word, go to Colossae. And he's traveling out there. But he's also an encourager. Every time they wrote about him, they said he came to encourage. And he said that right here in Colossians. Not only did he carry the letter, he says, um, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And when he sent the letter to Ephesus, it was to encourage your hearts. Now, I'm gonna go on a, on a little bit of a limb, step on a limb here. I would say that the guy who delivers the letter is the guy that reads the letter. And the reason I would say that is because he has just been with Paul. He can then come and read the letter and fill in any questions that people may have. Does that make sense? Because as he's reading, somebody says, I'm not sure about it. Well, let me explain this, 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 this. And so what Paul said is, what we want is we want thrilling Tychicus to read the letter and we don't want negative Ned to be the guy reading the letter. I mean, there's nothing worse than to pour out your heart to get a word from the Lord and you give it to the guy at Colossae and his Ned. And old negative Ned gets the letter and he says, well, let me read this letter from Paul. He says here, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. You know, he's in prison over there. <laughs> that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I think I need to pray for you. He's in prison. He look like he's struggling. Is that what you want? I want Tychicus. Tychicus is going to, he's reading that letter. These people are captivated. He's getting ready to the end. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at that same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. 
that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Can I just step away, folks, while I'm reading this letter and tell you, even though he's in prison, he is sharing the gospel with people left and right. And he says, just give me that open door. Give me that clear voice to say that. Now, who would you rather hear read the letter? I will Tychicus. Why is that? He's an encourager. I mean, the guy that, that, that they're looking at as a superhero apostle, he's in prison. And that can really get you down. But he took that and said, hey, this is where God's got him. And God used them in an exciting way. You need somebody on that team. You want energy and encouragement. Number two, Onesimus, you want a new believer with a checkered past. A new believer with a checkered past. Uh, you know, it's different people come and they become a part of churches. And sometimes people come part of churches because, you know, when they were young, it would be my testimony. Uh, I grew up in the church, made a decision for Christ when I was eight years old, baptized when I was nine, and just always been in the church. And that's great. And many of you have got that same testimony. But then there are others that are sitting out here who said, no, you had no church background. And there were things that you did in your past that you're shocked that you're even sitting in a church today because you never thought that you would be accepted by God, much less be accepted by other believers. But you have. You've been accepted by God. And you've been accepted by other believers. And you're part of the family. And someone who's come from that type of past, who understands forgiveness even at a deeper level than I do, that's who you want on your team. Because there's just a difference of how that love for God and that understanding of forgiveness. And Onesimus was just that guy. You see, he was a slave to Philemon. He lived in Colossae. And as a slave under Philemon, he had to work for him, but he escaped And some people believe that he even stole some things when he escaped. And he traveled all the way to Rome. And when he got to Rome, somehow in God's providence, he crossed paths with the apostle Paul. And Paul led him to Christ. And not only did he lead him to Christ, but he became a worker for him. And then there came a time when he needed to to restore that relationship with Philemon. And so Paul was sending him back with Tychicus. So when he's taking the letter... He's also taken a letter and he's taken it to Philemon. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to him to say, you need to forgive him and restore him, even as God has forgiven and restored you. And so he took this, this, this slave, where most people would have been so judgmental to him, shared the gospel of Christ with him, made decisions for Christ, his life changed, and Paul then just put him off site and said, I want you to work with me, come on. And then he got to a point where he says, you really need to restore this relationship back here. So I'm going to send you back to Philemon. And I want you to get involved in that church there in Colossae. And I want you to get that relationship restored. New believer with a checkered past. And he called him what? A faithful and beloved brother. Faithful and beloved brother. Aristarchus. Aristarchus, you need somebody that will stand with others in the hard places. Somebody that will stand with others in the hard places. Um... It is when you go through the most difficult times, there just seems to be a handful of people that are always there for you. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with anyone else. It's just there's something about the makeup of some individuals that they want to be there for you when you're at your most difficult place. Aristarchus, this is a guy who's from Thessalonica. He traveled with Paul. And when he traveled with Paul, he traveled with him to Ephesus, 
When Paul got there, as sometimes happens, a riot broke out. And when a riot broke out, Aristarchus is one of the guys that got arrested. Okay. He wasn't preaching. He was just there with Paul. But he was standing up for him. And he gets arrested. Well, then all of a sudden they decide to travel back to Jerusalem. They know that's going to be a dangerous trip. And they don't know what's waiting on him there. But he says, I'm with you. I'm on the boat. Let's go. Let's get back to Jerusalem. He travels back to Jerusalem. Then when they get back to Jerusalem, then all of a sudden Paul here is, is arrested and is getting ready to be sent back to Rome. And so Aristarchus says, I'll go with you. And he gets on the boat. The boat is shipwrecked. And they're drifting there and, uh, you know, for a day or a night or so. And, and then they find themselves on this island. Aristarchus is with him. So in the midst of a riot in Ephesus, Aristarchus was with him. In the midst of all that was going on in Jerusalem, Aristarchus was with him. When there was a shipwreck, Aristarchus was with him. And look how he phrases it. He just gives one sentence. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And there's some commentaries that believe that Aristarchus was telling the people in order to get on that boat that he was Paul's slave, that he was a servant of Paul, just so he could get on the boat and be with Paul. And now here he is. Now, whether he is in prison or he is just hanging out and say, I'll be there forever for you, he's like a fellow prisoner. And whenever the times get tough, there you see Aristarchus. That's what you need. Together for the kingdom of God. You need those with energy. You need that encouragement. You need those new believers with a checkered past. And you also need that person that will stand with others in the hard places. The next one he mentions is Mark. You need a second chancer willing to learn from mistakes. A second chancer willing to learn from mistakes. The person that you give a second chance to. You know the story of Mark. Maybe you know the story of Mark is that... Um, uh, when the Apostle Paul was getting ready to do his first journey, and uh, he went and he got, um, he got with Barnabas, and he said, hey, Barnabas, let's put together a team. And Barnabas said, I got just a guy, my cousin Mark, he needs to go with us. Paul says, that's great, bring him on. They leave and they begin, they make one stop, two stops, they're getting ready to make their next stop, and all of a sudden, Mark says, I'm homesick or something's wrong and I'm leaving. And he bails out on the team. And he goes back home. That didn't really sit well with Paul. I think if you read a lot about Paul, I think that wouldn't sit well with him at all. And when they came back from the journey, they had a report, everybody cheered for him. Then they kind of got, uh, got rested up and he and Barnabas looked at each other and said, I think we need to do another one. I think we need to go on a second journey. And Barnabas says, I'll contact Mark. And Paul says, not so fast, my friend. No, 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 nay, nay, nay. Uh, he says, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. He says, no, I'm not going to take him. Barbara says, yeah, I think we should. No, I'm we're not. Yeah, I don't. And there was a dispute that arose among them, okay? And uh, biblical word for, they really were arguing. Uh, and so when that dispute arose among them, Barnabas says, tell you what, I'll take Mark and we'll go in a different direction. And you find someone else. He says, okay, I'll get Silas. And so he and Silas went on the next missionary journey. And then all of a sudden, you say, whatever happened to Mark? Or what happened to him? As you begin to read in the, uh, in the different letters, all of a sudden you'll see Mark's name props up again. And all of a sudden, he's very valuable to Paul. Somewhere along the way, they came back together. Mark says, I've learned from my mistakes. And Paul says, I'm going to give you a second chance. The very last letter that he ever wrote was to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, his request to Timothy was this, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. 
for he is very useful to me for ministering. Bring Mark. He's a second chancer. He's learned from his mistakes. He's a part of my team. Now, I liked in here, and this is just an aside. You don't pay extra for this one. But it says here, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, I like that. And let me tell you the reason I like that. I like it because there is nothing that we have found in historical writings to say that Barnabas ever came to Colossae. So he may have never been to Colossae. So why throw his name out? How would they even know who Barnabas is? Barnabas was known for one main thing. Y'all know what it is? Somebody tell me. He was an encourager. Everywhere you see Barnabas, he's an encourager. I think that he had such an incredible reputation of being an encourager that his reputation went far and wide. People hadn't even met Barnabas, but they'd heard about him. And so Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, ah, the encourager. I just love that. So if you would like for your reputation in a good sense to spread beyond your reach, be an encourager. Be someone that does something positive for other people. And amazing, the word will get out. And here is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Second chancer, he learned from his mistakes. Well, then, from there, he goes right over and he comes to a man, Jesus, who's called Justice. Now, I'm going to write the word here, diversity. Diversity. Because it says that with Justice and with Mark over here and with Aristarchus, these were the only three that were Jewish believers that were still with Paul. The Jews, they backed off. When he began to open the gospel to the Gentiles, me and the Jews said, I don't want a part of this. I think the gospel should only be for us. And he said, oh no, it's for everyone. And so they began to step away from him. He says, but these three stayed with me. But look what he said about these three. When these three stayed with me, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me, a solace and a relief to me. Diversity. He's got some Jewish believers. He's got some Gentile believers. Build diversity in the team. And that's how we get together for the kingdom of God is through diversity. Second of all, next of all, Epaphras. Now, Epaphras. Now, we talked about Epaphras. And some of you will say, really? Yeah, first sermon, October 1st. Because Epaphras was the guy who started the church in Colossae. And so I put down here, Epaphras, I put down a prayer warrior and a strong worker. A prayer warrior and a strong worker. Why do you put that down? Look what he says about Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, he's right there from Colossae, you guys know him, he was your founding pastor. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You won't a prayer warrior. And that's what Epaphras is. That word uh, over here, struggle, is a word that means agonize. How would you love to have somebody that agonized in prayer for you? Have you ever agonized in prayer over someone? I would say we have. It's either a family member or a situation, and we have struggled, we've agonized, we've been on our face before God, and he says, this is what Epaphras is. 
He agonizes for you. He prays for the church. He prays that you will be mature. He prays that you will be strong. He is a prayer warrior. But he's not a guy that just sits in the room and prays. No, no. Look what it says in verse 13. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. This guy's a hard worker. So you got a strong work ethic. you got a prayer warrior. And he said, man, he's a valuable part of my team. That's what you want. Next one, Luke. Professional expertise. Luke, he does what? Somebody tell me, what, was, what did Luke do for a living? He was a doctor. He was a doctor. And I tell you what, when I read in 2 Corinthians what happened to Paul, he kept Luke busy. <laughs> if you've been beaten that much <laughs> and gone through all he did, I mean, Luke, you should see his medical report on Paul. Ooh, yeah, this and this and this and this. So he's got someone with expertise, professional expertise. You put on your team. He says there are times in ministry for us to be together in the kingdom of God that what you do is you use your gifting, you use your talents, you use the thing in which you're trained to do and you use it for the kingdom of God. This is not just a go to seminary type thing. This is every believer thing. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Looking for people that have professional expertise and use for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna skip Ademus and go to the last one. That's Archippus. And in verse 17, he says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord, a specific call to ministry. And a part of that team are those people who have a specific call to ministry. God has called them and said, this is specifically what you're called to do. It could be, um, it could be the guys that have been called to go into inner city, urban purpose, that's their specific call. It could be Andy and Jan Thrower with A-Team, working with families whose children have got pediatric cancer, saying, that's, that's my call to ministry. It could be someone called to be the ministry of preaching the gospel, it may be whatever, but it's a specific call to ministry. And as I read this, this uh, last part, and I went back and read the, the whole letter, <laughs> the most gripping part of that letter is that last, that's verse 17. And if you could imagine yourself sitting there in the room and this letter's being written, read and you are Archippus. Most people believe, because he was mentioned in the book of Philemon, that he is the son of Philemon. And they meet in Philemon's house. He's the son of Philemon. And somewhere through Paul's relationship, he understands that this guy is called to ministry, and he has a specific ministry. And someone's reading this letter from Paul, you're sitting there nodding, you're getting close to the end, and then he says this, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. It's kind of like calling the guy out in a good way. Archippus, see that you fulfill that ministry that you received from the Lord. That's it, my letter's done. <laughs> and you're Archippus, and you're going, okay, I gotta do this. Maybe that's the word I needed. Maybe, maybe he was getting down a little bit, and then all of a sudden challenged him on that, said, you've got a specific call to ministry, you've got to do that. Now I want you to look at this. There are varied attributes and abilities, and they're all together for the kingdom of God. But let me give you the bad news, that's number three, and that is inevitable abandonment of some is regretted. Inevitable abandonment of some is regretted. 
What that means is everybody that starts the journey with you won't finish the journey with you. Everybody that starts the journey will not finish it with you. I remember John Maxwell, uh, who does leadership and was a pastor. Uh, I was at a conference with him, and somebody asked him the question. And they said, uh, what is the most difficult part of ministry? What breaks your heart the most? And he didn't hesitate. He made that statement. The hardest thing is those who began the journey with you don't finish it with you. And that hurts. It hurts in any, in any venture that you go into. But you need to understand it's inevitable abandonment of some. Jesus had 12 disciples. He poured his life into them. And one of them, Judas, betrayed him. I always smile when people, <laughs> when people come up to me and they'll start figuring out how many people to put on committees or stuff. And they'll come, they're like, let's put 12. That's a good biblical number. I said, well, it is, but one of them's gonna stab you in the back. <laughs> I said, why don't we go with 11 and, uh, and we can be safe. Is that okay uh, on there? Well, Jesus he had one that turned his back on him. Paul, in all of this ministry, he says Luke, and then he says Demas. And you'll see Demas is mentioned in some other areas where he's, he's a helper. But when you get to the very last letter that Paul wrote, again, 2 Timothy, and in 2 Timothy, he says that Demas, and he's asking for some help from Timothy, and he says, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. At his deepest need, this is his last letter. Death is around the corner. His execution is getting ready to take place. And Demas has deserted me for the love of the world. Okay? It's going to happen. And it's regretful but there will be an abandonment of some. I think I've told this story, I always have to, it seems like. Demas is always someone that stuck with me because uh, if you know my history or, or not, but when I was working for the telephone company, Dr. Carter was the pastor over here and we were beginning to see a singles ministry began to grow and he didn't have a singles minister, so he approached me to see if I would be willing to leave the phone company and to come on staff and to be the singles minister. We and I prayed about it, it just didn't feel we were called to do that. Felt we still had the call of the business world. And so he kind of kidding me and said, well, you're kind of like Demas. You know, you're uh, thinking things of the world or so. You know, he sort of kind of joke with you. And sure enough, he got to where he was preaching through Second Timothy. It may have been come before winter or so. I mean, it probably was come before winter. That's the passage he used. And he took this verse, and when he took that verse and said that Demas, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me, if I was sitting right over here, young people, Dr. Carter preaching said, and Demas, having deserted me, he looked me right in the eye while he was preaching. And I'm sitting there saying, I didn't know whether to laugh or to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But uh, I had fun after the service came up to him and said, I saw that steely glaze uh, on there. So, uh, you know, Demas, this is a guy that was working with him. And now all of a sudden, he stepped away, deserted him. You just got to understand, inevitable abandonment of some is regretted. But the very last point is this, and that is perspective on persecution resolved. Perspective on persecution resolved. If we're going to work together for the kingdom of God, we're going to have to understand persecution will come, and you got to get that resolved. And not look at it as if this is something that, oh, I can't believe this is happening. It's going to happen. And Paul, when he closed it out, he just says, remember my chains. Hey, remember my chains. I'm signing this with my own signature. Remember my chains. 
He's not asking for pity. He's not asking for you to feel sorry for him. This isn't a plea for sympathy. This is just him saying, hey, remember my chains. And some people have said when he says, remember my chains, this is what gives me the authority to preach the word is because Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I've taken up that cross. I'm suffering. I'm sacrificing. I'm in chains because of it. Hey, but for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. And he said, I'm keeping going and I want you to continue to move forward. So let's just get that resolved. Don't be shocked by it and just keep on moving forward on that. Together, we build the kingdom of God. Together, we advance that kingdom of God. And so let's, let's take these, take a look at them and realize that you all have a place at the table to make that happen. You're all a piece of that puzzle to be able to go forward and to advance the kingdom of God. Now, when he closed out his letter and he said, remember my chains, he says, remember the sacrifices that I'm going through. And to me, this takes us perfectly into what we'll do as we close our service is partaking of the Lord's Supper. Because as we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, Jesus, in a dinner with his followers, hours before he was arrested, is telling them to remember him. And that as we go through this meal, and then you continue to do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And I want you to remember the sacrifice that I have made for you. And I want you to remember the cost that was paid for you. And then when you remember that, then that will just encourage you even more so to love him even more and then to follow him and to serve him. And so at this time, as uh, we get prepared for our, our uh Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask for uh, those that uh, will be distributing the elements if you would come forward uh, at this time. And as you come forward and uh, get in your place, let me say just a, a couple of words here. And that is that uh, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, it is what we do as believers in Christ as those who've made decisions for Christ in their heart, and then by partaking in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, you're visiting with us, and, uh, and if you're a, a believer in Christ, you've made that decision for Christ. You may call it born again, adopted into the family of God. You've come to that point to where you're depending on him uh, to put you into a right relationship with God. If you've ever made that decision, we want you to partake uh, of, uh, of this Lord's Supper. Uh, you don't have to be a, a member of our church. You don't have to be a Southern Baptist. Just be a believer in the family of God. And there's, there are others of you that be here, and you say, Danny, in all honesty, I've never really made that decision. I'm here, and I'm just sort of checking things out. Man, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, but you really don't need to partake in this. So this is what I'd ask you to do. When they, when they pass the plate by, just go on and pass it on to the person next to you. No one's going to worry about that. And I want you to think about the things that we've said. Listen to the music as we sing and, uh, and hopefully allow God's spirit to speak to your heart and make that, and make that same decision. And so um, in just a moment, as we pass that, each person uh, take the cup and then just hold on to it. And then I will give you some instructions after that. So let me lead us in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for this time. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you and for the sacrifice that you made on the cross 
so that we could come into a right relationship with God. We realize, Father, that if you had not sent your son to do this, that we would die separated from you for eternity. We also realize that we'd be living a life that while we're here on earth would have no purpose and no meaning. But because of what you allowed your son to do on the cross, and as he willingly chose to go there, and then you raised him from the dead, you put us in that right relationship with you and you give us a purpose and a meaning in life and you give us a joy and a hope and we're so thankful for that. And during these moments, as we began to uh, remember the sacrifice that was made, may you speak to our hearts, point out the areas that need to be right with you. Help us to pull down the mask, help us to push, push aside the curtain and allow you to look totally inside of us and then call to memory, call to mind the things that we're holding on to that we're not releasing to you. Speak to us during this time as we remember your son. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.